0: The definition of horror is an intense feeling of fear, shock, or disgust. Over our next ten episodes, we'll be exploring horror in cinema and how it's evolved decade by decade, starting from the silent era all the way up to present day. So we hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to Horror Haven podcast. I'm Dylan. I'm Sierra. I'm Erica. And tonight on the show, we're going to be starting our 10-part series called A Century of Horror, in which we talk about how film, horror films have evolved in the last 100 years. We'll be looking at real-life events that impacted the horror film genre. We'll be talking about the 1890s through the 1920s, the silent era of film, and discuss a little bit about how these films influenced later horror films that led up to the 1930s. Throughout the episode, we're going to have clips from people who we have spoke to about the silent era, and they'll be talking about things that stood out to them, and things that they love about the era. So, we hope you enjoy the episode.
1: We might get surprised and find some things they hate about the era. That'd be interesting.
0: That would be interesting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're not
1: expecting that, but maybe.
0: Alright, so I'm going to go ahead and start out and say that early movies in general, or early film, when they first started doing it, they started, uh... People started filming really random shit. So, like, if you look at a lot of the first ever films that were put out, not specifically horror films, but just first films in general, it's just random things like naked women and... You also
1: have to understand that there was no censors at this time either. Yeah. So, naked women, full frontal nudity was not rare at this point
0: in time. Looks like people riding bicycles and stuff. And I think a lot of that, I'm not an art major or anything but i think a lot of that is probably experimenting with it and going with things that you know so i mean you have paintings of naked women and you know just these everyday things exactly yeah so
1: well i think that was the big influence i I know that was a big influence at the time was was the um art of the time so paintings drawings Things like that. A lot inspired
2: of them this. do, like we were talking about that. Yeah, uh, Sierra and I were when we were watching some of them. A lot of them look like um,
1: moving paintings.
0: Yeah, like moving paintings. It's mm-hmm. really cool. So a- another thing to note too is we're going to talk about a lot of the you know early films from the silent era. But one thing to note is that a lot of the film from this time period is lost, and the reason being is the stock that the film was printed on was made with flammable materials so a lot of the times from playing the film over and over on a projector with the lamps and everything going they would just combust and catch on fire so a lot of early films not just horror films but films in general have been lost because of that reason
1: that is accurate
0: the first clip that we're going to play from you guys is from our good friend Thomas Nagovin from Century Guild. Uh, he's the director and writer also of the film Aurora, which if you haven't gotten a chance to check out, be sure to look into how you can check it out. We'll post the links and everything on our page. Um, really great guy with a lot of insight on early film, silent era, and art in general. So we thought there was nobody better really to give some more insight.
3: The, the first thing that I think of when I think about the silent film era is that it was a completely different world than, than what we think of today when we think of cinema. Um, the very first presentations of, of what was kind of the precursor to film were called magic lantern shows. And so someone would have a projection of a single image and they'd be standing in the back of the room telling the story and you know, switching out the the plates quickly. The next step was that someone figured out how to use leather straps to pull them in sequence. And then the very first thing that we think of as film was in 1892, uh, where a man named Raynaud showed, uh, I think there were three films. Uh, And those are the first moving pictures. And so those kind of things were done in in more exhibition-type settings. And then when they started to open movie houses, or what we would think of as movie houses, they were not suitable for um, the common public. They were loud, there was alcohol being served, there were peanut shells all over the floor. Like These were definitely things that were done kind of as entertainment in a... In a very dingy bar setting, uh, and so there's a there's a great book called Movie Struck Girls that talks about how they would make uh, advertisements for specific afternoons where women could go safely to view movies, because the concerns of human trafficking and things like that, and just the general rowdy behavior of of humankind in these places was just so not pleasant. So when you think about in the midst of this, this new invention of cinema, um, just the very act itself of a motion picture being projected was so occult and magical that it lent itself incredibly to the idea of, of the shock of horror. So when you're looking at films like The Student of Prague, which was the first independent film, uh, independent feature um, the the magic of the medium was so new and so different than the normal setting of say a stage play uh, that I really think that that contributed immensely to the sense of, of foreboding and magic and uh, just kind of mysticism that, that permeated a film like that another person worth mentioning is meli uh, he was a stage magician so when he started making early films he was coming at it with the idea of how to create trickery so when you're looking at things like the stills from the Le Phrenologie burlesque which is the giant skull um these look like some fantastic theatrical Setting as opposed to other directors. I can't can't even call them directors at that point, where people were just being very documentarian. Um, So Melies is definitely someone to look at in terms of the application of of disbelief and fantasy in in a magical sense. Uh, And I mention in a magical sense because that is what leads to what we are communally loving about horror.
0: So I'm going to hand it over to you because you are the research guru this week.
1: Oh my god, but if everything's wrong, then I'm an asshole. (laughs) Alright, so I guess...
0: Send your corrections directly to Sierra.
1: Yeah. Please make notes. Highlight my errors. I love that shit. Put it in the reviews on on, uh, iTunes.
0: (laughs) this is a three-star review, it would have gotten five. But Sierra fucked
1: up a little bit, so... (laughs) The first movie was actually... Okay, so we'll start out with the first ever horror movie, which... Is I believe in French. I don't speak French. I'm not even gonna attempt. Le
0: Menoir de Diable.
1: You sound like an asshole doing that.
0: I sounded Spanish. I think <laughs> <Yeah. but> you <laughs> did. Yeah, I, I was. was confused. You sound like an <laughs>
1: asshole. It's translated to House of the Devil here,
0: or Castle of the Devil. I've seen it called too, or the Devil's Castle. I I've think that was the. I think it was the Devil's Castle, right? It, That's well, the one I've we seen saw it. it on. I've seen it as both. It, it's. It probably just goes by like how you translate.
1: Mm-hmm. It just depends on. Yeah. I don't know how it was translated, and at that point, oh, I thought I had notes on like the other movie that was possibly.
0: Well, you told me about it. It's one that was made by Edison. It was like the death of the Mary's, beheading
1: of something of or Mary other.
0: something, but it was only like 18 seconds or something. Yeah, it was really but short, it's another
1: really. one of those lost movies. You can't find it, so mm-hmm. we're gonna go with movies that weren't lost. That's what we'll discuss. Um, that's the first film. It was released in 19. 19- Not 19... 1896.
0: You good? (laughs) Yeah,
1: I'm just not... Like, I'm not mentally prepared for this. It's too much um, responsibility
0: for me. (laughs) So, we had watched this movie. You can find it on YouTube. Um, The first thing that I will point out is... um, With the a lot of these movies I don't really know, I don't really ever know if the music with them is the original music yeah. or if it's um, a lot of it's added, added on it well, it later. that's the one I, the one we were watching earlier
2: I, I said I was like wow this it was music Swan sounds it was so familiar. So, is yeah, that the one that you said The w- version
1: that we we had watched The House of the Devil because we were watching it me and Dylan watched it a couple days ago, me and Erica watched it again today and and it was put to this music from Swan Lake. Which, Which is
0: funny, really yeah, because we played it, and I was like... "Seriously, was like, this is a perfect lullaby, because it put the baby right to sleep. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, no, I was like, "Seriously, I was like, this music... I've, I've heard this somewhere, and she was like, yeah, it's fun, like... I was like, oh, shit, yeah, you're right.
0: Well, with or, with early films, um, I don't think it's something that they did right away, but they eventually started adding piano and music tracks in, because it kind of ruined the experience if you went in and people were, like, sneezing and coughing and getting Mm -hmm. up out of their seats, and it was silent. And it kind of...
1: It was probably also boring.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that the music definitely helps, but... I mean,
1: it's only a three-minute video, so, like, your attention span should be that long. One thing with
0: early movies that... Bitches. We've talked about (sighs) before is, um, a lot of the early music... It doesn't, so it doesn't, some of it's creepy, but some of it doesn't feel like Some of it's feel very, horror. it's, it's, it's like almost very Disney. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of they, it's almost disney That Disney-est. was, well,
2: like, that was, like, the Swan Lake one, like, I, I first, because, like, I recognized it, but it, it fit, like, it, it did did that fit that particular yeah. movie, like, Absolutely. I was, it was definitely upbeat, and it wasn't, some of it's eerie, though, like, yeah, there well, were parts,
0: like, in, uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yeah. That was creepy. That movie, yeah, it, it's creepy. We'll, we'll get into that, but, um, but with the House of the Devil- what made this movie horror for the time is it depicted bats and skeletons and the devil cool. and there were sorcerers
1: ghosts, yeah. ghosts things were appearing disappearing um, i think i think what you'll notice with the especially with the 1890s and into the early 1900s is that it's not necessarily a full storyline that they're showing it's kind of they're showing horrific what would be considered horrific, horrific for the images at that time so the house of the devil there's no real storyline there's a sorcerer of some sort is what it appears and things are appearing and disappearing and they're messing with people. they're messing with people but there's no real storyline or plot line like you're not following this person through something they're going through or anything like that it's very simple and I think that the reason for that was because it was a new art at that point. So I think it was something where they were experimenting with what they could do with it.
0: Absolutely.
1: And really, the you won't see the movies start to become more full, what we would consider full-length movie until the 1910s. Um, you know, movies like Dante's Inferno and stuff like that, they well, become... They House of the Devil, longer.
2: I mean, it was even shot. Like, it's only got one set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. the whole entire movie takes place on, yeah. like, one set. And there's like different things like popping in and out
0: of it and what amazes me about early film is i feel like even though it was such a new art form they had already like almost perfected special effects Mm -hmm. oh yeah there's so many things in these early films like this this for example it was quick cuts of things but it was like it 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 worked it flows flows perfectly and it it's almost like you wouldn't expect it from something that's brand new Um, I'll say with this, it was creepy at times, um, even nowadays. And I think that it's creep- I think that these early movies are scarier today for different reasons than they were at the time. I
1: think at the time what made these movies scary is the idea of, like, the satanic aspect or the evil aspect of it. I think that's what really scared people at that point because, um... They were so religious at that time.
0: Well, you see that as a as a continuing theme too with a lot of these short films and silent films in the era. Almost all of, the ones we watched all had have like the devil a devil in them, them yeah. Mm-hmm. But like the what creeped me out about this one was the part with the the ghosts and they start circling around. Don't they look around. like the mm-hmm. void? Yeah, I thought of the yeah. void. Yeah. yeah,
1: It almost seems like a cult. It's, it's literally, literally it's just it's like cult, people
0: yeah. with like sheets over their heads, and they're supposed to be ghosts. <laughs> but like looking now, you're kind of like, oh my god. Like, that looks like a cult or something, but, you know, it, I know it's supposed to be a ghost, but...
2: The bats, Sarah was like, these bats are so cool, but they really were. Yeah. They
1: were, like, um...
2: Almost like those toy rubber bats yeah. that you see at, like, Halloween. Yeah, in. and, like,
1: they were on a string, and they would pull it up and down so that the wings the would wings flap, would and it was, like, chasing people. Um, I think that... what That goblin.
2: The goblin was really cool. Yeah,
1: like the little goblin guy that like came out of I the bottom of the. I wish you could have cauldron. seen his face because he yeah. looked
2: creepy. Like it's very blurry. Mm-hmm. Like that particular one is extremely blurry. But um, I wish you could have seen his face because I feel like he he looked creepy like that. So, I would I'd be interested to see what he looked like th- if it wasn't blurry.
1: I think another big difference that you'll notice, especially in the eighteen hundreds of the very early films, is that. They're filmed like stage plays. They're not filmed like movies. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, and, and that goes in through through the 20s. They're filmed on sets, uh, which Erica brought up. This one was really interesting because it was filmed on one set. Um, there's just one room, and you can see they're going in and out of the room. They're going around. There's doors throughout, so you can go in circles around. So it makes it seem like it's a building of some sort. But um, it is. They're, they're filmed very much like plays, very straightforward. The camera is generally in the front.
2: Doesn't
1: move. Um, in the 1890s, it doesn't seem like they're experimenting with camera angles at this point. It does come still during the silent era where they will begin to do that. Um, but they are figuring out special effects right away. They yeah. definitely jump into that quickly.
0: A key thing that stands out to me with these movies, too, is I feel like, and I sp- talked to you a little bit, Sierra, about it, is I feel like this period used the lower quality to their advantage, mm-hmm. because um, one short film that I watched was, it was called The Portrait, and in The Portrait, there's a guy, he picked, he buys this painting or this portrait of a, a man, and it's like a creepy-looking guy, and he hangs it on his wall, and it starts moving, and it's watching him, and then it's like, he goes to sleep, and throughout the night, like, the, the guy's, like, hands will come out of the portrait yeah, and everything, and watching it, it looks real, like, it's great effects, but... You, It was probably done with a hole in the wall and the guy could just come through, but if that were to come out today in, you know, 4K, that, you yeah, just look at it be like, that's a fucking hole in the wall that somebody's climbing <laughs> through. <laughs> so, it is definitely something that they used to their advantage. Um, but... Uh, 1902, A Trip to the Moon came out, and I don't care what anybody says, that's a horror movie because it's fucking yeah, terrifying. Yeah, it doesn't
1: seem to be one that they... We, we did a lot of research. I researched for... It's um, creepy. O- it popped over up. Over a week. And and I'm going to say 90% of the movies that came out at this time, I would today consider a horror movie. None of them. And like a lot of the horror movies, I would consider comedies. Like yeah. Like, for instance, this one in particular that we've been talking about, House of the Devil, it... It shows a man with a pitchfork disappearing and reappearing and poking, poking people, people in their butts. Yeah. Like, and messing with them. So they'll poke one guy and then they'll come up on the other side and poke the other guy and they're like... It's almost um, Three Stooges. You yeah. You know, like really funny, like... Kind of like slapstick. Yeah, comedy, yeah. 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 Like, and it's... it's But to, it's cons- because of the devil or the sorcery... The,
0: the sorcery, and the bats and the... the yeah. It's considered
1: horror and at that time it probably was what they would consider to be scary. Um...
0: What blows my mind about talking about horror movies from back then is knowing that people were going and genuinely getting terrified of this stuff. Yeah. Like we'll we'll talk about later on with like um like Frankenstein and when we go over the '30s, like people fainting in the theater and shit. Like,
2: well, there was uh, they, a clip came up while we were watching these today about freaks, Mm-hmm. and uh, they were talking about like some lady actually claimed that it caused her to have a miscarriage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, during the nine no- the eighteen. 18- 90s. There's also um, a film that came out, again, a French film. Uh, I believe it was translated into the Joyous Skeleton or the Dancing Skeleton. There's a few different variations of it, but it's literally um, a very short film, uh, and it is literally what the title describes. It's a joyous dancing skeleton. Uh, also considered a horror movie, came out in 1980, ni- 1897. It's weird to talk about the eighteen ninety It is really yeah. weird because. <laughs> It, it's not.
0: It's not something we ever go into. Yeah, we've never we've
1: never done an episode on on the the very early horror films, which I think is why this is very important. to We us did that Cabinet of
0: Dr. Calgary, but that's it.
1: I'm saying early, yeah. early, early, not the 20s, prior to the 20s, because the 20s were a huge influence on modern horror films. Yeah. Which I'm sure that I think that these are the huge influence for the 20 films. So I mean, it's we a, wouldn't have it's horror, a snowball. Effect. Effect. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. a snowball We it wouldn't have each other. We wouldn't have. The horror we have today, if it wasn't for the German, the early German horror films, the early French horror films, we wouldn't. Um, Because, honestly, at this time...
0: Well, that's, yeah, that's important to bring up, too, is... These all originated in France and Germany. That's really... We wouldn't have had American horror cinema, which is what really became, like, the booming thing, but... By
1: the 30s, American horror films take over the scene. Yeah. You know, you're not seeing those French and German films being put out, like... Universal was putting out their horror films. I mean... It became more mainstream exactly. and less of an
2: art. Like, the, all of these originals are very, very artistic. Like, mm-hmm. most of them, just like... Like, Sierra and I were saying before, they're, like, watching moving Exactly, and it's and not and about
1: the storyline at this point. It is about the visual. The art, yeah. 100%. It's all about the visuals. They want to shock you with visuals, and, and it's almost like how... Horror movies got in the two thousands, not in a good way. The two thousands were but, like, the so gore, much or, like, about the shock. The gore, yeah, like, so volume. you know, it, it came, it kind of came back around. They were experimenting with new things to shock you and scare you, um, which was successful in the eighteen nineties. Not so successful in, in the two thousands. Well, but mean, we'll get to that. It, it sold. It, well, tickets. it was yeah. I guess it was successful to shitty teenagers that didn't know any better.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: our friends. Jump scares have not. <laughs> um,
1: but why don't we go into the early nineteen hundreds?
0: let's do it um so the early 1900s when we were looking into films there's a lot of information on these like 1890s films and a lot of information on like the 1910s and on but there wasn't a lot for the 1900s so we pretty much just had to go on our own and look up certain films and just watch them there wasn't really a lot of like information or background or anything on these films i will
1: say that the 1900s 1900 to 1910 were some of my favorite films that we had watched for this particular episode um most notably the red specter i thought was is that the one with the devil
0: like dancing around
1: no it wasn't the devil well it's a devil kind of it's um, It's a skeleton skeleton that has horns and a cape yeah um and it's like dancing around and then it's like making a woman appear and just putting them in bottles and stuff and like putting them locking them in bottles and stuff um the, we, we checked sets out on those yeah sets
2: on that movie are, and like, the costume, so good yeah
1: in the 19 between the 1900s and the 1910s I don't think that there's a huge difference from the the 1890s to then except for the fact that I think that the 1910s are starting to tell stories more but they're way more elaborate with their sets and their costumes
2: yeah they're set the sets and that in general like he was in the cave
1: mm-hmm. and
2: then um it was like a lion's head or something, mm-hmm. almost that he had to like climb, and it was really cool. Yeah,
1: and it's like at, uh, that at was this Dante's
2: Inferno, right? No,
0: Dante's Inferno. Um, there had was a the giant head. Too. that's... No, Dante's Inferno is the giant head that's like
1: eating. Yeah, yeah, are. yeah. Um, so pretty much in the 1900s, you'll see. Um, fuck, I lost my train of thought because we were talking about the head. <laughs>
0: fuck. Floating heads are important.
1: Yeah, they are really important. I mean,
2: ladies and bottles.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. That was perfect. Um, what you'll see in these films is they're pushing their special effects to even the next level where I'm I'm shocked by what they're doing with it because yeah, you don't see these things in film today. You don't see them doing double exposures like they were in this
0: time, um, which is just amazing. It, it's Can you give some background on the double exposures and how that came to be?
1: Okay, so, um, <laughs> yeah, it's called... Okay, so in the early 1800s, or the late 1800s, um, and this is a huge influence in early um, horror films, it's called spirit photography. So pretty much what happened was a photographer took a photo, he looked at it, and he saw what he thought was a ghost in the background. He did realize eventually it was a double exposure, which if most people I'm assuming knows what a double exposure, if you don't, it's when you take two pictures on the same film on the same piece of film so it doubles the exposure if you could have seen my face right now it would have been really way more <laughs> it's like how enjoyable. do i explain <laughs> this anymore <laughs> <laughs> so it'll create a solid image and then there'll be like a faint ghost-like image so pretty much there were photographers in the 1800s that were claiming to be mediums and they would do these double f- exposures of you and ghosts um and that actually inspired a lot of early horror films because they started using that in film so in i could have
2: been it ripping people off back <laughs> right the day. like i swear to you so
1: in the 1900s you see this um especially in the movie red specter which we were just talking about um you'll see the women in you'll see the main picture and then the women in bottles you see um there's there's a few examples of it throughout that film i
0: kind of wish like i'm trying to think of how to word this but i don't want to say naive because this is all new technology but like To be that in the dark about it because that probably scared the shit out of people Mm -hmm. and we don't have it because now we could see that and be like that's fucking photoshop or that's double exposure like people don't don't...
1: do double exposures anymore because darkroom photography is a dying art
0: rip but we don't have that (laughs) to where like we can look at that and be like that's a fucking ghost behind me Mm -hmm. holy shit i mean we i mean you have like paranormal investigations and stuff yeah but it's it's totally different exactly it's so different if you could go and be like I can guarantee you I'm going to take this picture and there's a ghost behind you, it's going to fucking terrify yeah, you. Yeah, but could, like... I, Please
1: just... look up Spirit Photography if you're at all curious because the pictures are extremely eerie and, like, they have it all set up. They have, they have like, women in these long veils to be the ghosts and shit, and it's creepy as hell. Like, if I was in the 1890s, I would have been like, what the yeah,
0: fuck? Yeah, but you? that's, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, we um, have no shock value. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. I wish that we had something that we could be that terrified of.
1: off-topic, I do feel like the movie... Sinister mm. is very much influenced by f- spirit photography, because when you
2: see like when you, when see you him go kind go, of like when in the he background goes into of the, the dream,
1: pictures. When he goes into oh, insidious. The, oh, insidious. Okay, okay, sorry. I was. Well, no, no, I was thinking like yeah. the videos. Like, no. 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 Sorry, not sinister. I was like. I was the fucking same photo. Well we just talked about Insidious. No,
2: but Sinister, he was he was in some of the photos. Like he was in the He was in some of of the the photos, photos,
1: but it didn't seem but um Insidious like the the way that the dream world or the other realm looked the further. The further. Yeah. (laughs) That was very much reminiscent of what the spirit photography looks like, but uh, Mm -hmm. obviously that wasn't stills, but that's very much to give you an idea, if you haven't looked up spirit photography, it's very much what it looked like. It's like that, like very like dark, dim, empty, faint. Yeah. You know, like uncomfortable look. It's really cool. Definitely check it out. It's it's very interesting. I would hang them in my house. I swear. You
0: would. Yeah, I would. She sure. like would. like to hang things that scare them. the shit out of me around our house. Like so. the
1: creepy little the little drawings of the like dolls. Yeah, I'm very <laughs> yeah. thank for that
0: one.
1: You're welcome. <laughs> no, Kyle, right? Wasn't it Kyle? Um, but uh. I think that the reason why there's not a ton of information in the 19, 1900 to 1910 is mainly because it was still a developing art. It was very similar to the 1890s, um, so it's like there's no real divide between that and that. There's this. no transition. Like I said, I mean, Eric and I sat down and watched six films from both. Um, And and the only real difference that I saw, they're slightly longer by maybe a minute or two. And they seem to tell a story from beginning to end. Yeah. They have Um, storylines.
2: Like you said before, they, they start to get more elaborate with, um, with costumes and sets. And you start seeing them use more sets. You also start seeing camera camera angles angles and, um, just them playing around with different, with different effects. The one, what was the one movie we were watching with the dancing flames?
1: The, that was the haunted the, house, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah,
2: and it, that was like the coolest effect. And when I asked to, her, I was like, "How did they? I wonder how they did that?" Because mm-hmm. I couldn't tell if it was like paper or what, but mm-hmm. it was just like balls of fire, and it was like that a bunch movie of had
1: balls. a lot of really cool effects, in it that I was really impressed with well, that. You, you kept
0: showing me too, like they had, um, it
1: looked the t- like the house was
0: moving, but yeah. they were just tilting the cameras. But the way that they could, the actors utilize, were amazing. Too. They could utilize the fact that you know there's parts of the the camera that are out of frame so you could have someone like pushing the bed but you can't see that see it, on, yeah. yeah
1: yeah and like I think that a lot of the creativity art, the art and creativity that was in it at this time has been lost because things are so easily obtained with well technology made things,
2: exactly technology has made things so so much easier mm-hmm. back then like you know they it was manual stuff like everything was manual like things moving up and down there were people on pulleys and you had to have somebody operating those and it, it like you said it goes back to the whole theater thing it's theater effects it's the effects that you would see if you went and watched a play or if you went and watched you know um something like that and it's they use those same techniques only it's on film so i mean it it comes across differently but it's it's just interesting and when you think about it like his have you ever, i'm sure you guys have both been to plays yeah um I, you know, I can think of going like Phantom of the Opera, there's, there's a lot of moving parts in there and it's like, you see it that way and it's totally different because it's obviously it's 3d, it's right in front of you. So you can, you get a different feel for it. But when it's, when it's flat and it's like filmed like that, it's just, it's totally different Mm -hmm. and it's, it's interesting and it's really cool to think about, you know, how these people sat down and they were like, okay, so this is the idea we have, like, how can we execute it? And, you know, like the, the tilted, the house scene with the the house tilting and stuff like that. And I, you know, I'm just, it's so interesting and, and kind of like mind blowing to think that, you know, nowadays we can throw it on a computer and edit it and make it look all, you know, how we want it. And then they're having like, okay, well, how can we. Make the bed move this way without mm-hmm. you seeing it, or how can we move it that way without you seeing it? You
1: yeah, know? like it, there, there was a real art and almost science to it at mm-hmm. this point. In time it leaves more to you have to think about it.
0: It leaves more to your imagination. There's a lot that, like you said, Sierra. There's a lot that we watch from these short films that I even now I'm like, how the fuck did they do that? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is. I still can't
1: figure out the girls in the jar. Like I know it's a, they were it's, moving. It's a double exposure of some sort. It has yeah, but to they were be, moving. But how did they get three separate? exposures in one film you know what I mean it's because there's three jars three women they were all moving separately it 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 took a lot of it took a lot lot of work to do it I feel like it it.
2: took
0: a lot of art and a lot of imagination and probably a lot of
2: patience I want to know how long it took them to edit these like to actually like
1: yeah I don't know because by the 30s I know that they were putting out movies like every few months (laughs) but at this point it had to have
0: well, they're still learning at this point, too. Like, it's yeah. still it's still a new thing. So, but it, it, it just amazes me because I'm going to use an example from more recently. Um, CGI. We see CGI from, like, the 90s and, like, early 2000s. Dumpster fire. And Dumpter it's fucking fire. terrible. But <laughs> they've gotten better at it. With these early movies, it's almost like they perfected it right from Unless the start. Unless you're Thanos.
1: He looks ridiculous. So, um... All the Marvel fans just unfollowed us. (laughs)
4: Hello everybody, this is John and Becca from Skeleton Rose Media and we're here today in conjunction with Horror Haven for their decades in horror histories, or biographies, whatever they're calling them. And uh, we're here today to tell you guys a few things about the silent era horror movies that we really, really dig and uh, some things that we just generally like about them. One of the things that stands out to me that's cool about these movies is that they're pretty, Like, there's not a huge crowd that tends to follow them. So it's, you know, when you can bring something of conversation about these movies to the table, that's a really cool thing, I think, because, like, you stand out in terms of conversation. If you're, like, actually knowledgeable about some of these silent-era horror movies. Like, for instance, one of my favorite movies of all time is Nosferatu. And um, I love the general aspect of storytelling in it i mean first and foremost needs to be dispelled that silent horror movies are not really silent there's just no speaking right i mean
5: yeah as far as i can tell most of the silent era movies while they were technically silent they always had someone playing organ music there's there's music music playing so it's not truly silent if you think about it that way
4: and so it's a little bit of a misnomer and uh, what's, what's cool is, you you know, when we think about music in today's horror movies, you know, we, we don't really think about music. It's not really a musical score. It's just sort of ominous tones that's sort of laid out and then a big fat boo when they want to hit you with a jump scare. But in these silent era horror movies, there's actual musical compositions going on. There's a score that's put in place specifically to emphasize storytelling plot points, um, emotion, you know, uh, different proofs of concept, things like that. And so the music takes place of the speaking, obviously. And I think that that's a really, really cool thing that we kind of lose sight of, you know, in in today's horror, which strikes a chord with me specifically because for every horror project I do for for the horror novels, I actually make a soundtrack that goes along with like what I see you know, the vision I see for the books in my head and I, you know, seeing these silent era horror movies do kind of the same thing where they have like, you know, a very dedicated um, musical score that's supposed to evoke, you know, a specific feel or vibe out of the scenes that you're watching. You know, that, that's a very, very cool thing to me that I think gets almost entirely lost in, in modern filmmaking is the importance of music as a creative medium you know, and how it can interwind into, uh, into, uh, visual cinematics, you know.
5: And speaking of visual cinematics, um, it's fascinating to me that from as early as like 1903 in, um, the super short clip, The Infernal Cauldron, um, we've already started using special effects. For example, in The Infernal Cauldron, you have, a uh, couple devils throwing human souls into this cauldron, and they turn into ghosts, and the, these, um, these uh, see-through women are just floating above, and they turn into fireballs chasing these demons around, um, and, and causing him to jump in the cauldron, and you've got this flashbang, or like in um, 1910 with Frankenstein, you've got the skeleton that just sort of Starts waving at you as it builds its flesh. I just find it fascinating that we're already using our imagination and our our minds to create these gory, fascinating little. Well, I said fascinating so many times. I really like the well, special effects I, that I, we're already dabbling in dab- well, from over
4: a hundred years well, ago. I think I think one of the things that that Beck and I both latched onto too is like is how far some of these stories actually go you know it you know we kind of we get this idea that anything before 1975 was was timid prude and and uptight and that's not really the case at all with a lot of these stories and the storytelling I'm I'm just saying like there's mean characters there's nasty characters there's and as far as special There's effects... Naked and characters yeah, and, in 1922. And, um, <laughs> and as far as, uh, like, dark storytelling, you know, you get into a lot of very, very dark aspects. Of it. I always go back to, like, Lon Chaney's makeup in Phantom of the Opera. That, to me, I, is one of the creepiest scenes when he's actually unmasked in the original Phantom of the Opera. And I remember being such a huge fan of, like, the, you know the modern Phantom of the Opera, you know with uh, Michael Crawford and Sarah Brightman in the '80s. they like that's what I grew up with. So like seeing the original silent era Phantom of the Opera and Lon Chaney's makeup when he's unmasked, it fucking terrified me. Like and I I, I saw that when I was probably like 16, and I'm not sure what about it was so visually unsettling. I maybe because it literally looked like. A dude who had a deformed skull, you know. It didn't, it was so delightfully extreme in its simplicity, I guess. And I really, really like that, like a complex take on a simple idea. And so, I mean, and that's just like literal makeup that they put on him, you know. And so I just really, really dig that, that dedication to, you know, we don't have CGI, so we have to make it. And I know we use this term practical effects, but really, when you think about it, there's nothing fucking practical about practical effects. They're time consuming. They take a lot of energy and money. It's much easier to do things CGI, so there's nothing practical about practical effects at all. And um, uh, I just like that, that idea that they would put that much time and effort into creating you know, Lon Chaney's, not just Lon Chaney, I mean, Lon Chaney's just one, but like Max, or uh, Max von Schreck as Nosferatu playing Count Orlock. I mean, he's another one that had a snot load of makeup. I mean, and, uh, 50 years later, when um, uh, Klaus Kinski played Nosferatu in the, in the remake, uh, like four or five, six hours in the makeup chair, you know, that kind of dedication to your passion, I guess, is something that used to go without saying that was just what you did
6: Mm -hmm.
4: you know and you put that much effort into everything from makeup to the music to the storytelling so when you read these title cards the wording of every sentence is important
5: every word matters if you miss
4: a single word you might be lost right exactly And, and so like you have to. And
5: there was no rewind back in those days? No. no and not well, at all. technically there well, was. Well, you, you had. But,
4: well, but a lot of these people were. But you, a lot of these people were, were coming in from some distance. Yeah, you went to, to the see theater. the show. And so, like, if you didn't catch it the first time, you just fucking missed it.
0: You know? You're, <laughs> You're not going right. to pay for it again. <laughs> right,
4: <laughs> It's exactly it. So, um, that kind of, I guess, you create a cumulative magic around something when uh, everybody needs to be glued to something so much to really get the full experience because there's just something as simple as there's no fucking speaking. You know, um, something as simple as that can change the entire context. And there's something creepy about it. Like like if you walk into a room where somebody's watching a, a, si- a, a silent movie and there's always a creepy soundtrack going, There's something really fucking ominous about it. There just is. And so when you start sitting down to read the title cards, you find yourself being yanked into the story with so much more veracity because you have to read it. So it's like it sucks you in almost against your will. And so these stories have this kind of a tenaciousness because they connect with you in a lot of other ways other than just speaking with words. And it's a very strange effect. When when, uh, when you really break it down, the fact that making somebody read something while they're viewing scenes, you know, the idea of just that approach.
5: The only thing that I can um, compare it to in today's day and age would be watching foreign films where you're literally yeah. only yep. reading the subtitles, subtitles. Yeah. to know what's going on.
4: And you and in the same way you find yourself being yanked into those stories because you have to read. And and so like when you engage more than one sense to enjoy a movie, it's just something that's very, very cool. And to be honest with you
5: I find it's a more satisfying thing at times.
4: For well, I mean if it's I, a good
5: story. <laughs> and
4: I you know, I have a lot to owe to the silent era as well because everything that I do with the novels that we've been getting a lot of acclaim for in the last year and a half with all the digital photography that we put into the books, you know, so like we set up these digital photo shoots to go with the scenes that, that we place them into. And that straight up is like a silent film idea. So I'm tagging these photographs with the scenes that they go with while people are reading the manuscript that accompanies the scene, so.
5: Almost like a backwards silent film, whereas it right. was lots of images with Little words. Right. Here we have lots of words with with a little image, image. and
4: and so to wrap it all up, I th- I think silent era horror movies are phenomenal. I think they're great. I owe a lot of what little success that I have. I mean, as far as my approach to doing the the, the horror novels, everybody looks at me like it's a, this is a really original idea, but in but in theory, I owe basically all of it to the silent era to the silent era of horror movies the whole, the idea, the vibe, everything. So I think it's great. I think it's phenomenal. Check them out. Watch as many of them as you can and learn how to tell some proper stories.
5: Kudos to those early 1900 geniuses.
4: Absolutely. Peace, love, brotherhood. Stay brutal, (mwah) everybody.
1: Why don't we go into the 1910s to the 1920s um, because I think once we get into the twenties, it's going to be,
0: yeah. So done. the 1910s, um, this is where you start to see a rise of German expressionism, which is a really key thing in the creating of, or the creation of horror movies. So, it's so dark. Yeah. So
1: it becomes really after, huge in the twenties, but this is the beginning of it. Right? Yeah. It's
2: very like, it's very Gothic. Like it's mm-hmm. that, that traditional, it is, it, like, it,
1: that is what becomes known as Gothic yeah. horror is that German expressionist style. And that's because generally the movies that they did choose to do were based on gothic literature.
0: Right. Um, Well, you'll see too. So, this is where we'll start to see a lot of uh, full length films come into play. And a lot of the time, they're influenced on either old folklore or
1: literature. Literature.
0: It's not. You're not seeing a lot of original. Original Originally written films, yes.
6: But I think
1: that's also why you're seeing. Um, I'm gonna say in the 1900s to 1910s, you start seeing these full ideas being portrayed. In the 1910s to the 1920s, you're seeing like in-depth films. There's, there's, um, you'll start seeing the um, words popping up on the screen mm-hmm. and like storylines being made um, a lot more in depth, a like lot a picture deeper um, to follow and, and a lot more details within it. So you'll see a lot of that, especially with, like, Dante's Inferno in this time period.
0: It had to be a great thing, too, because I need, I mean, now a lot of the times a book comes out and we're like, okay, well, they're going to make a movie about it and they make a movie about it. But back then you have these, like, poems or, like, books or anything that have been around for how many years that you've never seen visualized other than in your head. And then you have the opportunity to see someone bring it to bring it to life. you know what
1: the thing that i think is the most interesting is that the films that you start seeing being made um between the 1910s and 1920s you have dante's inferno which everyone knows what dante's inferno is everyone's heard of the book everyone's seen versions of this in film um at some point which if you, you haven't
0: seen it's like 1911 right 1911. 1911's dante inferno really again creepy. it's on youtube it's so fucking creepy yeah
1: a lot of and and that's the thing is if you are interested in checking this out you've never seen these 90 percent of these movies are in public domain you can watch these for free all day long every day
0: i'm pretty sure all of them are at this yeah. point because copyright
1: license expire yeah.
0: after like 80 years
1: yeah. or something like that so um i'm gonna pull you have, a
2: typical erica on this dante's inferno all the naked dudes on the rocks those rocks were sharp
7: it it was like a I got Did home you from work it? and you
0: were like how the fuck are they sitting on those rocks because <laughs> they
2: were
1: all naked <laughs> now, like was talking that but you in in addition to that you see Frankenstein which if anybody knows the 30s Frankenstein is he's he's the man you know everybody knows Frankenstein and <coughs> how many countless remakes of Frankenstein has there been yeah. the first one was in 1910 yeah. You know, they inspire, like, these these films, you don't hear people talk about these every day. You don't see people, this is my favorite movie, but these are the movies that really started to inspire what modern horror is.
0: And I believe, too, I don't know, I've never watched the original Frankenstein, but I know that the one, the Universal version, doesn't really follow... The Mary Shelley book. I think the original one does follow it a lot more closer. Yeah. I, and I, I think too that uh, I've never seen the original either. The original one. I I could be wrong, but I think it was all like the actors from the the play or the. I know that that's of what it. they
1: did with Dracula. Was it was the actors from the play? That might maybe. be what I'm thinking of. But um.
0: But so, around this time, you'll get German Expressionism, which came as a direct impact or a direct effect from world war one so you had the fall of the german empire there's destruction all over germany and you. It was a dark time for them yeah i mean was it, it was world war one where they were like you're paying back you're paying for the entire world war yeah
1: right? <laughs> germany was pretty much left in shambles at this you
0: have all of these um soldiers german soldiers returning from war and they've seen all this horrific stuff and then you have this new art form of film. <laughs> you you have this way for them to express the horror that they've seen yeah. and get it out on film. One of the biggest films, and shouts out to our good friend Thomas Ngovin from Century Guild for bringing this film to our attention, was *The Student of Prague*, which is credited as being the first independent film, the first German art film, and the first full-length horror film. From what I've no, seen. No, the
1: first full-length.
0: Independent, independent horror, 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 film. horror film. film. There's a lot of different things that I had, I had seen. A lot.
1: Uh, you you have to understand at this time too is that when we say first horror film, first this, first that, it is always conflicting because a lot of the record keeping wasn't as well. Yeah. Um. Or the films were lost, or no one's ever seen it, or whatever. There's a thousand reasons why four movies are credited as the first horror film ever.
2: It bounces around. There's a, there's differing opinions on it. That's all.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to. I mean, anything in history yeah. that you're looking up from hundred years ago, you're gonna have
2: different. Somebody's gonna of tell something. you, a, yeah, a yeah. different account of it.
3: The Germans are really the people who were um, creating the culture of horror. You had. Um, german expressionism where after the war people had witnessed such terrible terrible horrors that just documenting reality didn't cover what the sensibility of fear was what the the just the genetic uh vibration of terror um couldn't couldn't be covered with just a photograph. So what they started doing is is distorting the buildings to create claustrophobia. They they would use huge uh, bolts of of line and shape just to create a sense of drama and not in a melodramatic way, in a sense of legitimate drama. You know these are people whose worlds had been completely distorted in every way imaginable. So it's only sensible that that distortion then would creep into this beautiful, and incredible, and powerful art. Um, I'm thinking of some of the backdrops on movies like Genuine and stuff like that. Definitely look at the Marmer House Theater. Uh, you've got all of those beautiful, beautiful posters by Joseph Fenneker for the premieres, um, for things like Haunted Castle and uh, Totentons, which uh, was a Fritz Lang script. Uh, that's definitely one worth looking up.
1: Germany, honestly, until the 1930s, are the the, the big horror producers. They're mm. constantly making horror films. Uh, most of their, after World War One, especially, that most of their cinematic anything was horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's
2: that is like, it's really interesting to think about because like when you think of like, I guess like for me anyway like when I think about like war and like it's it's always like on an individual level so it's like when you're thinking about people coming back from war it's it's individuals it's not not like a whole a but like, yeah this this affected, but the, this entire affected country. the entire country to the point where groups of them well were making you wanna these know spells. why
1: I think the the big difference is at this time to this to uh during this time in history to now is that and where we're from it changes yeah. it to completely because Germany has war has been on their land mm-hmm. we've we've never had a war on our land yeah. we've never witnessed war we've never been in a war-torn country it's never happened for us the only
0: war we had on our land was against ourselves yeah <laughs> so and <but>, the north <laughs> one bitches so another thing that was important about like this whole time period too is that With Germany kind of, like you said, in shambles because of the war and everything, it kind of gave this rise in popularity to film because it gave an escape from real life. And that, you'll see it come into play a lot in America too with like the depression and everything. Um, You know, people can afford to go see a movie so they can go and escape for a little bit and pretend that bad things aren't happening.
1: Yeah, I want to pretend like my kids aren't working in factories. (coughs) <coughs> I'd getting their arms torn off by big machinery.
0: <laughs> What's wrong with
1: you what you it in school? No, that's horrific.
0: Yeah, so um The Student of Prague it has a lot of groundbreaking things. There's a lot of cinematography that's really important for the film and a lot of effects that were it was based on a um Edgar Allen Poe story. So while making this movie, um, Paul Wagner who was a star in the movie, he had heard the story of the golem, which is an old Jewish... Jewish folklore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about a monster, I guess. They're and clay. Um, yeah. They, and they come to life. They were to, like, lead the Jews to... Protect them. Yeah. Um, so he had gotten wind of this story this folklore and he wanted to make a movie about it, which leads to 1915's film The Golem.
1: So after The Student of Prague was released in 1913, The Golem was released in 1915, two years later. This movie tends to be recognized as the first monster movie. Whether that's true or not depends on what Pretty shitty ass. website you'll read on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, at this time there's a lot of monsters so it just depends. Uh, it doesn't seem like they count the devil as a monster.
2: Which is so odd. You know yeah. what I mean? Because it's like...
1: Well, like, th- the reason I'm saying that, I don't know if they do or not, but God, one the so reason I'm saying out. that is that literally every movie until, like, the 1910s has Satan in it. And none of those were considered the first monster movies, so... But... Satan's... Satan's not a monster. Um, He's cool dude. <laughs> but yeah, like we said before, that this film was inspired by the um, Jewish legend of the golem.
0: And the golem. um... He had a really bad haircut. He acted in The Golem as well. He played The Golem, and it's considered to be a lost film. Really? The Golem? Mm-hmm.
1: You can watch that online.
0: I thought so, but everything that I find of it says it's a lost film. No, so
1: it's definitely online.
0: Maybe pieces of it are lost?
1: Not my bad. Something you'll come across pretty frequently, too, is that you'll get lost films where you can still find audio from it. Mm-hmm. So, the audio wasn't, like, and this Pepper- is later on. This is later on, so, like, in the twenty or in the 30s and stuff like that, there's still films that are being lost, but you'll find the audio for it, which I think is kind of crazy, so. Well, it's because the
0: the films are lost because they're getting burnt up. But no, I know, I it's just funny track.
1: that, like, you think that, like, oh, the film's gone, let me throw away the audio, too, because <laughs> well, time- Like, I was
0: saying
2: before, like, with Dante's Inferno, you can see them talking, and it's like, I wonder what the hell they were talking about.
0: Yeah, do you think ordered- they were just
2: having like casual conversation or do you think it was like, it's like are those
0: rocks cutting you up, man? It's like, yeah, man, my fucking <laughs> ball sag is balls. Yeah.
1: <laughs> fucking bleeding out. No, I think Hurry in that scene he water. was like What are you doing after this? <laughs> no, the first off, go out they for were
2: some there was just pork swords fucking <laughs> bouncing everywhere, bum rushing a boat. <laughs> like they bum rush the canoe butt naked, dick slapping in the breeze, and then like all in a hurry to go to hell.
1: Horror <laughs> Haven. We only use the very best vocabulary. Um, so. Also, during this time, we have films like Frankenstein. Um, the go- Frankenstein. The Gollum. Dante's Inferno and Student of Prague are probably the big films of this era. Um, and I think that they really show uh, the... <sighs> what would I... Th- how, what's the word I'm looking for? Dante's Inferno has
2: really good effects for its time.
1: Yeah, I think I think that this movie too. I think the, that this this era has really great storylines as well. It's sh- it's
2: really showing that progress. So you know how like we were talking like when we originally did um the decades in horror last year, we were talking <laughs> about those like those transition movies that kind yeah. of cross the decades. I, I think that this whole time period is like. Is just like a snowball effect. Like yeah. it's like every film is like a little bit better than the last, a little bit better than the last, and it's just like it's really like growing, and you can see like characteristics from all
0: these different films pulling together as as you it's progress. It's kind of funny that when we did decades in horror, we did it in reverse order. Like it's kind of looking back on it, it's like at the time it's like oh that's a cool way to do it, but looking back it's like it's kind of dumb because you can't see what carries on, carries the the traits
2: that go on. Mm-hmm. Um, with Dante's Inferno. I really like the effect with the, um... What was it? The panther, the jaguar, whatever it was. The, the big cat.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: It's like a cat in the mountain. And it was he's, like... like um, he's coming around the mountain. Made. And the 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 thing is, like, backing up. And he's, like, poking... Like, trying to, like, shoo it. But it's, like... I don't know. It either was, like, really shitty taxidermy. Like, on wheels that they were, like, pulling. Or it was pulling, a puppet
1: of some sort. Or, yeah,
2: like, some kind of, like, crazy animatronic. And I'm, like... it Just thinking about, like, that type of... Like, where, like, where does that come from? Like, especially at that time period, like, where were your thoughts that you were like, oh, yeah, we can totally do this, like, we're gonna hold on, I'm going to Give build me some fur and
1: whiskers, I'm going to build a
2: cat, <laughs> a real big cat. You know, it's just, it's so cool. Dante's Inferno had some really cool effects in general, like, um, with Beatrice getting, like, beamed up, mm-hmm. she was just like, boop, <laughs> they fucking, like, zipped and then, her up in the air. like,
1: <laughs> three minutes later he disappears slowly.
2: Yeah, like, he fades out, but, like, it's so funny, because, like, she, like, she kind beams of, like, up.
1: She, like, puts her hands out. Like, yeah, like, she, like, ah! Superman beams
2: up, and then he flips his scarf over his shoulder, like, And then yes, he just
1: disappear. and then he and disappears. And then he just fades out. Like, with his scarf flipped over, like, he's like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bad bitch.
0: Yeah. So, um, in 1919, and leading into 1920, I don't know, you took all the notes of the movie, so if I'm missing any, I'm kind of just going off this list of you have over here. You good. Um,
6: released
0: in 1920, you have the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is referred to. What do you refer to it as here? It's or, the
1: Granddaddy of Horror. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I don't refer to it as that. That was actually what it was. That's what it's looked at as now.
0: Yeah. So um, it's
1: fantastic. That's why it is. It's
0: absolutely one of my good.
2: all-time favorites. If you have this, not seen Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, or all 30 versions of it that are on YouTube, yeah.
1: so like I have. <laughs> This, I forgot about
0: that. You kept watching
1: it. Speaking of this film is what's going to transition us into talking to the 20s. It was filmed in 1919, but was released in 1920. This is the um, most obvious example of German Expressionism. Now, we brought up German Expressionism. We brought up what inspired German Expressionism, but what does it look like? I think that's an important thing mm-hmm. to talk about. Um, it's a skewed reality. It's um, It's
2: very Cubism. Like It's like Cubism. Yeah, the sets and stuff are, especially like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari's got that like really like The
0: it's sets just, look like they're surrealist. Yeah, yeah like, it's surreal, surreal. and th- yeah. that's
1: exactly what it is. Expressionism is a type of surrealism, but pretty much the, po- the whole point of expressionism is to make you feel something. It's not necessarily to make something make sense to you. It wants you to feel a certain way. It wants to set a tone. It wants to set a mood. It's going to be which I think is the best. The sets are going to be very um, distorted. It's going to make you feel uncomfortable. It's going to make you feel maybe sad or anx- anxious. anxious is yeah. a good term. It's going to be very dark. There's going to be high contrast. It's going to highlight things that it wants you to see to make the story make sense to you. Um, it's German Expressionism was one of the very first big art movements in film. Um, it's And it's important because this is what ends up transitioning From the 1920s to the 1930s because after the 1920s a lot of the german um filmmakers ended up going to america when the nazi party took over in germany and the expressionist movement moves to america
7: hey there horror fans this is david um from over at horror film review and when I saw my friends over at Horror Haven were trying to do um, this historical project, I decided that I would um, throw in and kind of help them out. Uh, so, the first thing I wanted to talk about here is the silent era of horror. Um, just to kind of start it off, my background a little bit of it is growing up, I hated black and white films and had never seen a silent one. Um, that was until I went to college, and one of the first classes that I actually took there was for uh intro to world cinema and during this class we actually were introduced to the cabinet of dr caligari and that film actually blew me away and kind of set me down my path to start trying to uh find other ones from it the first thing i want to start off with here would probably be the movement of films known as german expressionism um which is kind of known as widely distorted for emotional effect. Now the reason this came about was because of the horrors of World War I and what happened to Germany. So they decided to kind of make films that were a little bit different from the Western conventions. Um, Now my history with this actually is I did a final project for German in college and being that I was also a film major, I decided that I was going to focus on these type of films. Now, some of the most infamous ones from this would be like Nosferatu, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, or uh, The Golem. Now, these ones actually have a lot of influence on films immediately after, as well as even today. Um, Now the horror genre is one thing that is influenced by it, especially with the distortion of reality. Um, And the other thing would be film noir, which were very popular in the eras right after this was created. You can actually see the direct influence if you watch the films of Fritz Lang, Billy Wilder, um, Alfred Hitchcock, Orson Welles, and even today you can still see it as Tim Burton is definitely influenced by German Expressionism. Since heaven narrative films wasn't something that was very popular, you'll see that many of the films, especially from this era, are actually based on either some sort of works, like. Nosferatu stealing the work of Bram Stoker to create that film. Um, You'll see a lot of Victor Hugo novels that were also adapted into film. Um, Gaston LaRue with A Phantom of the Opera. Um, And one of the best made films from the era is actually The Phantom Carriage, which was based off of a novel by Salam Lagerloff, off of his novel Thy Soul Shall Bear Witness, which is actually a Nobel Prize winner. Many films from the era actually were also based off of German folklore, which you'll see in the form of like Faust or uh, The Golem, which is actually a Jewish defender that would come back to help when needed. Some of the more prominent figures that you'll also see during this era would be um, the actor Lon Chaney, who is also known as the Man with a Thousand Faces. Some people who are a fan of the Universal era might know him uh, as well since he is the father of Lon Chaney Jr., it's kind of sad to hear though, since they did have an strange relationship. But Lon Chaney was one of the best actors and appeared in quite a few films during the era. For example, um, London After Midnight, The Unknown. Um, he was the original fan of the opera, as well as playing The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, another one that was pretty prominent was the director Todd Browning, um, who actually directed uh, Lon Chaney in the film London After Midnight. He also probably most famously known for his film, Freaks, which kind of has a lot of backlash due to the actors he used were actually from sideshows from back in the day. And Todd Browning also directed The Unknown during this era. Now, another director I kind of wanted to showcase a little bit would be F.W. Marnot, who is the director of the original Nosferatu, which came out during this era. It is just kind of interesting since the Stoker A state would not allow him to use his novel he still decided to go ahead and do it anyways and thought he got away with it except on the posters he actually had put that it was based off of the novel now he didn't actually put him on there but that's how it was marketed which did have some blowback and really the only way that that film got to be seen over in America was there was some prints that were smuggled out of Europe and were sent over to here Um, Morneau also did the did a version of the film Faust which is a famous German folk tale about a doctor who sells his soul to the devil. Now, the last little thing I wanted to talk about for this um, would be the film Hoxen, which is a Swedish-Danish co-production. What is interesting about this film, though, is that it is actually based off of a work called Malus Maleficarum, which is actually a German inquisitor talking about witchcraft through the ages. Um, and it's broken up into four different parts, but what's really interesting about it is that it came out in nineteen twenty two, and despite this, it is actually was banned in the United States for having for having graphic depictions in it, which, for example, could be like torture, nudity, and sexual perversion. Now, there wasn't the board that would kind of censor everything as of yet in Hollywood that wouldn't come along for a few decades but it is interesting though that a film like that long ago would come out with material like that in it um which is quite interesting now, that was all the information that I wanted to highlight for you today, and just kind of the things that really struck me from this era. Um, well, I thank you for listening, and like I said, my name is David Garrett. Um, if you want to follow me, if you don't already, um, you can find me at Horror Film Review, which is the name of my blog, as well as you can also find that on Facebook. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, um, my handle is buckeye from mish all one word you can also find me on instagram at davidosu 87 h f w w um and you can also follow me on letterbox if you like as well where i'm always rating and reviewing films as well and my id on there is DavidOSU. Um, like i said hope you enjoyed everything and hope you have a great day thanks
0: Now, I'm going to go on a little bit of a um, rant or tangent, I guess, on Kevin and Dr. Calgary, because there's a lot of important things that I want to bring up. First off, I remember watching this movie for the first time, and right from the first scene where you have the girl coming in and um, just like... If you've seen the movie, it's it's hard to... coffee? Yeah, it's hard to explain, but if you've seen the movie... um, or if you want to look it up and watch that first, the very first scene in the movie, it's so haunting. And the first time I watched it, I was still in this vi- mood of, like, oh, silent film, like, back for them. Yeah. Like, uh, not a fan. Typical but, like, teenage shit that, where you're yeah. like, this is stupid. But yeah. that scene comes on, and I was instantly drawn in. I was like, this is, like, beautiful, but in such a creepy, strange way. And I think it really, like, appeals to every sense of why we enjoy horror movies, and I think that's why I I enjoy it so much, is all of the things that I enjoy about horror movies are present in this movie. Now, as far as the historical context of this movie, like you had said, Sierra, it, it is visually very much an expressionist movie, but this is the perfect example, too, of storytelling and how that could apply to what was going on, and, um, with any art form you have a story behind it and a lot of art is influenced by real world events so up until this point you had like student of Prague* and uh the golem i'm just going to bring those up because that's what we had talked about and they're telling this story but it's a story this is telling a story but there's this meaning behind it now in the movie you have Dr. Caligari, and he's controlling this monster, or this man who he says is a sleepwalker.
1: Isn't this essentially poking fun at the Nazi party?
0: Not kind of, not really. The Nazi party hasn't been around yet. This is still early. But you have Dr. Caligari, and he's commanding this sleepwalker to kill. And this was a direct metaphor of higher-ups and the effect, government yeah, with war. telling people to kill not necessarily what they had wanted to do so it's foreshadowing i mean it's, i guess it it's, could any, be yeah, it's any government i, I think mm-hmm. i mean we we it's covered the this very movie. first
2: conspiracy y'all
0: we covered this movie a year ago so it's yeah. hard for me to think back on a year ago but i i do believe that the the people the guy or the people who made this movie were very much against like war yeah and no that's it was definitely it was like an anti-war statement exactly now another thing that i want to bring up is this to me is the first psychological horror movie and i've seen it credited as that before but there's twists in this movie that even if they were to happen today i'd be like holy shit yeah but you i wasn't expecting the twists watching a movie from 1919. no absolutely not it a plus story. This the sets
2: uh, the set for *Cabinet of Dr. Caligari* is also fantastic because it's it, there's multiple sets for one. It's not mm-hmm. just one, it's it's multiple and they are so like there's so many dimensions to them. There's ext- like the depth you can see the depth in them and it's like it, it, the way that they're painted and the way that they're built. Like there's just so much that goes into it and it's like you think about that and you you know you think about these movies today and they're million dollar blockbusters and there's. You know, they're spending these fucking huge uh, budgets to make these films. And it's like, okay, like, back then, like, they hand-built all of those sets. They Mm hand-painted all of those sets. Somebody hand-sewed all of those costumes Mm -hmm. and hand-threaded all of those wigs. And you know what I mean? Like, everything was so handmade that it's like...
1: The makeup was probably made with from inflation. Bird poop.
2: If you, yeah, like with inflation, <laughs> could you imagine how much like a movie like that would cost? Like oh yeah, if it were made today with you it know, wouldn't like,
1: be made today. They'd what? be like green screen.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it, it it makes you utilize what you have too, and that's something that carries on too. And I think it's what makes later horror movies so great too. Because look at like. Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Evil Dead. they did not get these... through a single episode, yeah. y'all. Not a single one. Well, they didn't have these it big was budgets. Me this time. <laughs> they didn't have these big budgets. They had to work with what they had, and they made it work. Exactly. And it's because of that that they were so much of an impact. And I I talked to um, Larry from Creature Features Podcast, a little shout-out to, to him. We love you, Chunky. Um, I talked to him about it, and I had said, you know, Evil Dead 2 was essentially what they wanted to do with Evil, with Dead, 1. Evil Dead 1. And I had said... Evil Dead is my favorite horror movie of all time had they had the big budget to make what they had wanted to initially Evil Dead would not have been my favorite movie of all time because it's that low budget Gritty Improvising and doing what you can to make what you want to do work that makes it so great And it's something that you see i think that's why all of these early movies are so it's the practical effects yeah it's
2: it's like with with all of that like when you're doing it hands-on you have to think okay like it's so easy to just it obviously it's not easy otherwise everybody would do it but it's it's easier to just be able to go on here and say okay well like we can manipulate it like this and it'll make it look like that and here you are like years and years and years and years ago and you have these people like well shit like how can we make that how can we make them look dead like mm-hmm. okay well we got to do this but how does it look on film like do we have to correct this and it's like
0: you're you're adding stuff to people and well i think a lot too is um at this point in time this is a passion and it's still an art form it's not just I'm getting paid a million dollars to make this movie. I I'm just gonna put that. it together and make a million dollars. <laughs> I
1: wouldn't say that because I think that the people who make the films are probably still very passionate and interested. They are. In I think the problem is that 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 like the production companies would be. But um, I think something that, that that kind of blows my mind about this particular film, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, is they purposely distorted the sets to make them look skewed and weird. They also, though, while distorting the sets, they made them in a way where the characters can go into them. Still look normal. Well, like, there's depth to them enough to where it looks like when the actor is walking, like, that the buildings are getting smaller as they get further away to give you that distance, Mm -hmm. you know, while still being very distorted in size. And it's just crazy how much effort went into making it when you consider all of that. I think that's, that's very I, like, insane. When you think about
2: like that set alone, I could not imagine how many hours it took them to make those sets.
0: The next clip that we have for you guys is from E. Elias Marriage, the writer and director of Begotten and the director of Shadow of the Vampire. So it was really cool to get some insight on him, on his thoughts on F.W. Murnau and the filming of Nosferatu. So here he is.
6: For now is just, uh, he's just such an extraordinary figure because he really adapted, you know, some of the great works of, you know, lighting and, and expressionist theater, you know, from uh, the Reinhardt Company and uh, Otto Dix. Otto Dix's work from World War I uh, was just an incredible inspiration to to him. And, and a lot of the, the, the lighting that you see in a lot of expressionist artwork out of Germany and the lighting out of the Expressionist Theater of Reinhardt where he was a, uh, an actor in that company really influenced him in the way that he used his camera and created his scenes that really evoke an uncanniness and, uh, and distill a beauty, a beauty that is really hard to find in, in any cinema whether it's silent film or you know contemporary studio work.
3: And what attracted you specifically when you first saw it to the story of Nosferatu? What
6: attracted me was that the world of, you know, Steichen's photography, early photography, Talbot's photography, and you look at the work of Alfred Kubin, the uncanniness of the image that was being presented in both symbolist and expressionist graphic arts really is adapted motion picture through Murnau's movies, you know? And uh, I find that to be an extraordinary contribution.
1: So another really popular um, German Expressionist film of this time is another big one that most horror fans probably at least heard of, if not seen, Nosferatu, which is, to this day, the first ever vampire film. It's the first official this is what a vampire (laughs) is. Now... This isn't what vampires go on to be, um, in the, in the 1930s, you get Dracula.
0: Which is pretty much direct, well, Nosferatu, it, it, they're very similar, Dracula and Nosferatu.
1: But they're different types, the, the vampires Their are look, very different. The
2: look, is different, um, I, which, I think you become very romanticized. Exactly, and, yeah, and
1: Dracula really becomes more what you see with vampires in the modern horror. Um,
0: There's a sex symbol.
1: <laughs> but um, 30s
0: Dracula was so rock and roll.
1: <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Gallo Lugosi There's picture him in, like a uh, No, <laughs> rock and roll Deacon. was um from
0: <laughs>
1: The Bad Boy of the Group. Yeah. Um we need to stop now. <laughs> but the fucking movie is so good. Nosferatu was released in 1922 and the vampire in that is not Dracula, it's um Count Orlok. Qu- Count Orlok. But that's uh, another. I thought you were
0: you were, like soft. No, like, you, you were, were like poop. we
1: were like making <laughs> awkward eye contact, and you breathed in like you were gonna say something. But that's another really popular expressionist film. His fucking hands bug me out. His like salad fingers. Salad fingers. How man. does he pick things up with them? I don't like, know,
2: baby, dude, babies. I can't like. When my kids were little, they do that. They don't bend their fingers, so they, like, pick shit up. Like, E.T., man, it freaks me out. I'm gonna out. try
0: to do that tomorrow, just all day at work. <laughs> just trying like, to, like, like, fucking pick shit <laughs> up without, like, a pick shit No, all right, ba- back on topic. But, Nosferatu. Um, this movie... <coughs> this, I think, is what really inspired, um, like horror cinema in the United States. I this think that this
1: film did begin to inspire horror cinema. I think it was um, this one was a big inspiration for the monster movies especially because the first universal monster movie was is Dracula, Dracula um, which was directly inspired by this. It was taken from the stage Bram play. Stoker. But, Bram Stro- Stoker. But yeah both of these Bram, Bram, st- not Bram, Bram.
0: Stoker. <laughs>
1: that's that's Bram a bad Bram porn st- okay. <laughs> Both films That dibs on porn name from Stoker. <laughs> Both films were directly inspired by the Dracula, by Bram Stoker.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking when I said that they're basically the same, is that I know that Nosferatu was somewhat influenced by Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. Um, But this is where you start to get a lot of... um, I, I think that this is the perfect example of what we had said before where you get that gothic era because you have the castle and, like, the... This
1: this is the movie that really, really... The Victorian... I don't movie. want to say started it because you can't say that because there's so many lost films, but this is a movie that really put it in the forefront of popular film of the time. And was, this is
0: the first film that I can utilize, um... I think... I, I can say... This is the first film that I can say utilizes, like shadows and that they're very important it's in the film Christmas.
6: lighting the lighting lighting. In this was lighting, yeah
0: the lighting in the shadows and you see that later on one movie that i know what was it It was the 40s um i walked with a zombie really really did great with the shadows but like it, it's we'll it's
1: talking about it in two decade
0: yeah but it's I, I just wanted to bring it up because it's things like this because
1: getting off topic
0: it's not getting off topic. just i'm just kidding, no. I'm just kidding just it's go. It's not, It's going back to seeing what that started effect. the snowball effect and what influenced. Sorry, what influenced like th- that to be what it was.
1: I'm just fucking with you because I do think it's impo- I, d- I think it's impossible to talk about early horror films without, without talking about what, modern- what it influenced. Um, so No 2 was released in 1922 as an expressionist film. The same year, a very different style of film was released called Hexen, which... Hexen is almost a documentary oh style film.
0: This movie... I haven't watched it. I've watched a lot of clips from it. And it's something that I've... I don't know why... I've always wanted to watch it. And I think it's Erica easily, would dig it. It's easily accessible, but... Accessible. It's on
1: YouTube. But
0: I've, I don't know why I've just never watched it. But it's, it's basically like a, a sort of documentary... Of it witchcraft. shows the
1: evolution of witchcraft oh, yeah, starting, me. yeah, at paganism and going on to like more satanic ritual witches, like what we would be like. Oh, it's a witch! I'd like to see a remake. You know, of it. it's very <laughs> interesting. Um, movies that this directly inspired, I would say, is definitely Suspiria. Definitely, it was probably inspired by Black Sunday, Black Sunday. films think... like that. I think, um, but I think it's an interesting thing because. It's 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 a fake documentary.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh which is interesting because it's like
0: documenta- that, or that Documentaries even modern a modern Yeah, movie, you uh, don't yeah. know if
1: if, if doc- we don't even know if documentaries are a thing at this point and that's I'm sorry, you to turn me down now, I'm loud as
0: fuck. Right. But, I have to turn us all okay. up anyway. Um
1: It's really interesting th- that this film would come out in this era and be what it is. Um now this is considered a very popular film during the twenties. I never actually heard of it. I never really looked into it. So, did it? I don't know if it has the following now that it had then, but it's I definitely up, a film that, that's interesting, and I would definitely say to, to yeah, check it out the, if you're The interested. clips
0: I've seen, it's absolutely terrifying. And mm-hmm. I think it talks about, like, um, different kinds of witchcraft, from, like, satanic to Wiccan to pagan to, like, all, all kinds of different, like, witchcraft mm-hmm. through history. Um, I looked it up, and it says that the first documentary film is called... Nanook of the North, a story of life and love in the actual Arctic, and it's from 1922. So, yeah, I so. guess that
1: was the year of documentaries. Um,
0: we're just brushing, we're getting a little like close on time, and uh, we're just kind of brushing on some important stuff. I know that we talked a lot about earlier films, and these are films too that. I'm sure that we'll cover on the show later mm-hmm. on, like hacks
6: and yeah, stuff. Yeah, oh, sure. I think we should definitely I, do I an that. I think that
1: doing the research on these decades, um, I've done research of the, the from the 1890s through the 30s at this point, um, you start finding films that you didn't know about or you, maybe you've heard of, you've never really looked into, that you've, you're finding interest in. And I think that's important to, to, when you find something that you really like, to look into it and find those, those influential original films and check them out because. Um, some of them are just, they're truly terrifying and they're very beautiful.
0: And it's, it's, it's funny too to read, especially, I'm sure that we won't have this problem later on, but it's so funny to look into stuff because you have all these like loopholes and like, all, like, for example, we we brought up that the first full length horror movie is, the student of Prague, but some people consider it to be the Gollum. Some people consider it to be what Esmeralda from 1909. Yes, like it de- Like depending on if you consider Quasimodo a monster, oh, he might a be the first figure
1: or not. He, yeah, they don't always consider *Hunchback of Notre Dame* a horror film, but some play some some people do. So it just depends. Like I said, there's a million. When you look up the first movie that did this or the first one that did that, you're going to it's find so, many, con- yeah, so much conflicting information. So I think the best way to go about it is just to see what keeps popping up when mm-hmm. you look at those things. Um, the 1920s were extremely important for American horror. That's where the start of Universal came um, in 1925 with The Phantom of the Opera. Which, to this day, is a, an extremely well-remembered film.
0: And The Phantom of the Opera, it was a, a silent film first, but they did remake it later mm-hmm. on um, when the Universal Monsters were big. And it was directed by Todd Browning, who would go on to do Dracula. So,
1: And then Die Out, sadly. Film. Die
0: Out in a after year Freaks, after Dracula with Freaks. But so we'll talk about that next yeah, week.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We'll get into that all. Um, and another notable movie that I ha- that I have... I looked into, which watching clips from this film, it is definitely on our radar to cover as a episode, pro- probably on its own, um, The Man Who Laughs.
0: Which is funny because I didn't know that The Man Who Laughs was considered to be a horror movie.
1: It is more considered to be a melodrama with horrific...
0: I'm going to show you a picture of the character from The Man Who Laughs, Erica, and you tell me... Who it is. Who it is.
1: Do you recognize this character?
2: Should, like, should I recognize the character? The character. It? Oh,
1: it looks like the Joker. Yeah. yeah.
0: This is what the Joker is based on. Really? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, The Man Who Laughs... I if,
0: thought you were trying to ask
1: me who the do, actor was. I was
0: like, I have no fucking
1: if clue. You, if you do look into the film, it is considered more of a drama. <laughs> it looks just
6: like but the Joker, too. But if you totally actually...
1: Cool. And this is what I was saying earlier, too, is that a lot of films considered horror were funny. A lot of films considered funny were horror. A lot of cons- I think it's because, so, like... Humor was different. Humor
2: was so different.
1: And like, Mm -hmm. you know, like even
2: now, like humor is very dark. Mm -hmm. It's like, for me anyway, I have a really sick, dark sense of humor and I find shit that I probably shouldn't find funny, funny, but it's just, it's one of those things. I think that it's, and especially like, I don't know, I guess, especially in that time that everybody was so conservative Mm-hmm. that I'm sure some things that were considered comedic were also probably considered, like, crude and inappropriate. So, yeah. I well, could get that.
1: The Man Who Laughs came, out, came at the tail end of the silent era films. Um, At the end of the 1920s is when they began to add sound to film, which I actually think I have the information on the first... Yeah, well, the first American film to be considered... The first talking film is Dracula in 1931. There were movies before that. Again, they are lost films. I do not have them. I can't see them. If I could, I would, but I can't. So, it's considered Dracula in 1931 at this point. But, by the end of the 1920s, there were talking films. Yeah. Which, with that, that was probably the biggest influence to the change in horror. Because, if you watch horror movies from the 20s to the 30s, they are so much more developed in the 30s. There is so much more to them. And it's not in a better way or a worse way. It's just you can see it's that different. the technology is developing. You have clearer pictures. You have scripts. You have better, b- better, bigger sets. Mm. And people are really getting into being moviegoers. It's becoming a phenomenon to be out there and going and seeing all these films. And we have Universal that starts in the 20s but really comes into itself in the 30s and you start seeing 20 films being put out in a 10 year span you, and then onto the 40s it's 40 films put out the 50s you know and and they continue to pretty much dominate the horror genre until 1960
0: um which is amazing one yeah. film that I want to bring up to um it's called Un Chien Andalou and it's a French film it's a silent film it came out in 1929 there's no plot to the movie. It was actually um, directed by Salvador Dali. This movie is fucking nightmare fuel. Is that it's his real like, name? It's only like, no. Uh, there's It had a different director, too, um, named Louis Banuel. Banuel. But uh, it, it's literally just like 17 minutes of surrealist imagery. But it's just, like, weird shit. Like, this woman gets her eye cut with a straight razor, and they do, like, a close-up of it. And, like, ants start crawling out of somebody's so hand So you're telling me
1: it's the video from the ring? Kind of, yeah. <laughs>
0: I could see that. Yeah, I could definitely see no. the, the ring influencing this. Um, it's You really, mean this
1: influencing the ring?
0: Yeah, sorry. I'm still, like, looking into it. But it's, uh, it's definitely something. If you're into weird, weird shit, look it up.
1: You like that real weird shit. You like shit. that weird
0: shit. So, that being said, we hope you guys enjoyed this first part of our 10-part series. Next episode, we're going to be covering the 1930s. Which AKA is,
1: the golden age of horror.
0: Yeah, um, pretty much expect... A universal monsters episode with some other films sprinkled in because they're really the big part of the 30s.
1: Yeah, a bi- a big difference between the earlier films to to now is that you're gonna see a lot more films are coming from the USA, and I mean like we were looking at the films released between 1930 and 1939, like a list, and it was like all United States besides like six of them. Damn. There was yeah. probably more, but like the big of the big huge influential movies like a, a vast majority of them are coming out of the united states and that's not to say that like the american filmmakers were better that's not it at all
0: but there's some more things to get into like censorship and how well that's, that comes a, into that's play. a big thing
1: too is at the end of the 1920s the nazi party took over in germany and a lot of german filmmakers were unable to make not unable to make films they were able to make films but it wasn't
0: there's more restrictions on it, it because yeah. they didn't want any outside influence
1: exactly so then a lot of German filmmakers ended up going to Hollywood and they started making horror films uh, which you'll, you'll start seeing um, re- you'll start seeing names you ne- recognize from the 1920s in German expressionist films in the universal horror movies which were inspired by the expressionist movement although you definitely see um, more development in it it's a, it's a little bit different um, but we'll talk about that more next week. Yeah,
0: so if you want to follow us. Is that Murphy?
1: <laughs> no, that was a sheep.
0: Um, if you want to follow along with us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Horror Haven Podcast, on Twitter at Horror underscore Haven. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen Don't to your Don't acts like we
1: all update that shit. That's just him.
0: Um. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, If you want to contribute a clip to any of the future decades that we're going to be covering... Don't come
1: talk to me because I am not going to do it.
0: Send us a message or send us an email at horrorhavenpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to anyone who's reached out to us about submitting clips already. We're really excited to hear what you guys have to say about the decades. Thank you to everyone who submitted clips for this episode. And...
1: Thank you to me for doing the fucking research. Thank you to Sierra
0: for doing the research. Wow, dick. Yeah. this whole This whole episode's for you, Sierra.
1: (laughs) No, shut up. It's for you. German expressionism. German expressionism. (laughs) I got yelled at three times because I needed more notes on German expressionism. And then you didn't even talk about it right. Fucking mess it up.
0: (laughs) I talked about it wrong.
1: You didn't talk
3: talk
4: about it. Have a good night, guys. Good
3: night. (laughs) Bye.